Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Before I dive into this episode's subject, which is the over-under win totals that appear to be the best bets for NBA teams this season, regular season, I wanted to note something, just so my listeners have a better sense of what I get the most satisfaction from in doing my job. In part, why I do this job, why I put out this content, why I risk the ridicule and questions from people about why I'm saying what I'm saying about their favorite player, favorite team, etc. In the last episode, I talked about what I saw in the Lakers-Warriors preseason opening game regarding its strengths and weaknesses, both the Lakers and Warriors, particularly when it comes to the addition of veteran point guard Chris Paul for the Warriors. Now, I don't know if any of you recall, but the knee-jerk reaction to him being added to the roster in exchange for Jordan Poole was that he and Draymond Green would be at each other's necks, fighting over who has control. And if it wasn't Draymond, there would be an issue about who was running the point between Steph and CP3. How were they going to be able to deal with CP3 dominating the ball when that's not the way the Warriors operate, and if there's anybody dominating the ball, it's generally Steph Curry. Now, we haven't seen Draymond and Chris on the court together yet because of Draymond's sprained ankle, but everything else that we've seen and heard is evidence that Chris and Draymond are going to get along just fine because, as I tried to point out, they have very similar mindsets when it comes to their approach to the game. And Draymond has said as much. That is where I get my satisfaction. I didn't talk to Draymond about this. I didn't talk to anybody about this as far as the team is concerned. This was just a observation on my part based on knowing Draymond, knowing Chris, 
knowing the mindset, the general mindset of the Warriors. I also thought that Chris would be a great benefit to Jonathan Kaminga for a couple reasons. One, he's not Draymond. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but from what I've heard out of the locker room, the incident with Jordan Poole, Draymond's incident with Jordan Poole, didn't just poison the waters between Poole and Draymond. It affected all the young guys on the team. They couldn't well listen to and engage Draymond without it appearing that they were backing him over Poole, who, by all indications, they were a little closer to, or at least felt more aligned with. Now, I don't know that it was that they faulted Draymond for what he did, as much as they didn't want to have to choose a side. It may not sound all that egregious, but having a good chunk of your team trying to be Switzerland, a neutral state between warring factions, that is, especially the chunk of your team that is supposed to be learning how to become champions, that's not ideal for a team looking to be champions again. Now, I imagine not having Jordan around this season makes it a little easier for the young cats to follow Draymond's lead, but there may be some residual damage or reluctance. But it'd be understandable if there was. Chris comes in free and clear of all that, delivering the exact same message. And from what I can tell, sometimes in the exact same way, without <laughs> mincing words. He also comes in with the benefit of being able to say, hey, look, look what I did for Devin Booker. And if you recall, Shea Gilgis Alexander in Oklahoma City and Lou Dort and Clint Capella in Houston. A direct line can be drawn between Chris showing up in Houston and Capella getting paid. It also could be argued that Capella hasn't been as good since he has no, is no longer playing with Chris feeding him. And actually, when it comes to the Warriors locker room and the young guys, Chris wouldn't have to say anything. Players talk, and they pay attention to who does what for whom. To simply have that track record with guys around the league who wound up winning and getting paid with him feeding them the ball is enough. It was gratifying, again, for me to hear Andrew Wiggins make the exact same case about Paul's impact on the team in general and Kaminga in particular. That is what gives me the most gratification. Wiggs is in practice every day. He's seeing the interaction and came up with the same conclusion that I did. When a player or coach that I have not spoken to about a subject publicly shares the same perspective, that's where I get my gratification. Because what it does is reinforce my confidence in my powers of perception and that as a result of all my years covering the league, I've developed a pretty keen sense of how the league works and what works in it. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, Rick, you should have that confidence. If you've got that confidence, you've got that confidence. It's always nice to get confirmation every now and then. And the truth is, there was a time I was in locker rooms and players, talking to players and coaches all the time. It was how I lived my life. I don't have that luxury today. And even if I did, 
I don't know that anyone these days has the level of access that I and, and a few others once enjoyed back in the day. Players and teams have become more insulated thanks to a variety of factors. Social media and the deterioration of who has access to players are two of them. Once upon a time, being a credentialed member of the media covering a professional sport was a privilege that required years to earn. You learned the ropes, you learned the rules, you learned how to conduct yourself along the way. Now that is not to say I agree with everything a coach or player says when it comes to the gratification of confirmation of my viewpoint or that I see their perspective as a certified stamp of approval. But if they say something, particularly if it runs counter to something I've said or observed, then I'm inclined to give a certain situation a second look. For example, I had a member of the Pelicans organization tell me about, eh, it was about a year ago or so, that Zion has not looked to develop the nuances of his game, that he hasn't taken advantage of all the resources available to him to expand his offensive repertoire beyond using his freakish combination of size, speed, and girth to get to the rim. And if anybody's really been paying attention to his game and knows the game beyond a very surface, elementary, box score, he's going by guys type of thinking, you've seen the same thing. That's what I've seen. He's in no way a three-point threat. He shot a lower percentage last year from beyond the arc than he did as a rookie. And if the basketball reference stats are correct, he's never hit a jumper between 16 feet and the three-point arc. Now, not that that is a shot he should routinely be taking, but it points up that he really doesn't have a jump shot in his arsenal. Not one that he's willing to trust. And with all the time that he has missed and the ability to do form shooting, even with a leg injury, this is starting to have shades of Ben Simmons. I, I'm going to reference another guy, uh, Lonzo Ball, obviously injured now. But the transformation of his shooting from the time when he came into the league to by the time he left the Pelicans and went to the Bulls, remarkable. And what was it? It was just work. He put in the work. How many bigs have we seen who didn't shoot the three at all? Marcus Saul, the retired Marcus Saul, Brooke Lopez, any number of guys who did not shoot the three, was not part of their arsenal. And yet, knowing that it was an important part, they developed that part of their game. How many times have you seen uh, Zion create a shot purely off his pivot foot without having to leave his feet until he shoots? How many step-back jumpers have you seen him even take, much less make? Yes, we get the occasional floater or the running bank from seven or eight feet. We've seen that in this preseason. And he's decent at the free throw line, shooting better than 70% last season. But I can't help but think about the way he was talked about coming into the league, and when I look at his freakish athleticism, what he should, could be capable of. 
Is he coming anywhere close to that? I know what the numbers say when he plays. That's not what this is about. This is about, can he be the most of what he's capable of being? Now, after sharing all of the what I had observed and had been told on a podcast, and that went viral, Zion's Pelicans teammate, Larry Nance Jr., challenged the idea that Zion hasn't worked on his game or isn't trying to develop other facets, saying that he has spent time with him in the gym and sees him working on all those shots and has seen him working to expand his offensive repertoire. That's a pretty powerful statement, right? So I felt obligated to watch as much as I could of Zion this preseason to see if he has indeed added any of the aforementioned weapons to his arsenal. If indeed, even if my uh, source was correct in saying that up to the point that we spoke, Zion hadn't done it, had that changed? Had, had Zion taken a different approach in the last year that would make my source and my take outdated? I wanted to see it. Now, I should mention that the reason I feel it's vital that Zion develop those shots is in order to score efficiently and with less demand on his body, reducing the risk of another injury by constantly going 100 miles an hour attacking the rim. And I suppose there's a chance that Zion doesn't want to open his bag and unveil any new tricks in the preseason, that he wants to save them as a surprise for when the games really matter. But I would just say, after watching him in the preseason, I haven't seen a change in his ground game or his shooting range. I'm trying to think if I've seen him take a jumper to this point. I don't think I have. Now, what I have noticed is there has been an adjustment. He's not looking to tear the rim down every time he attacks the basket that he appears to be finishing with more finesse around the rim, which is smart and should be conducive to staying healthy. And I do think that he has uh, some touch, uh, remarkable touch for a big man his size. So something he's capable of finishing with finesse. And I have to think he's doing all of that with an eye toward taking the stress off his legs and feet. But... Finishing at the rim, even with finesse, still requires making an explosive move to get past his defender, rather than being able to shoot over him or create a shot that isn't at the rim. And to be fair, there's been a limited, gradual growth in the percentage of shots that he's taken beyond three feet since he came into the league. But just for perspective, I took a look at the growth of another big man in Zion's 2019 draft class. Number eight pick, Jackson Hayes, taking seven picks behind Zion. I'm not comparing these two in terms of their abilities whatsoever, but what I'm about to tell you is probably more damning because I don't consider Jackson to be anywhere close to Zion's class. Not draft class, just general talent, class of talent. Like Zion... Jackson came into the league with a non-existent mid-range game. Average distance of his shots, his rookie year, 2.8 feet. 
He took 259 shots that first year, and only four of them were beyond 16 feet. All of those were three-pointers, of which he made one. The average distance of Jackson's shots has risen, however, each and every year, reaching seven and a half feet last season while taking a career-low 159 shots in part because he was injured and he only played 47 games. Over the course of his career, the percentage of shots he takes within three feet has dropped from well over 80%. 80% of the shots that Jackson took when he first came into the league were within three feet of the basket. This past year, last season, less than 45% of those shots, less than half of his shots were within three feet. That's a pretty, pretty dramatic change. The point being that he has slowly but steadily expanded his shooting and scoring range. His shooting percentage has slid a bit, but it's the price paid by a player proving he can be a threat beyond layups and dunks. That's just natural evolution of expanding somebody's range. Up until last season, his scoring was also moving steadily upward. Last year, what with the -the off-the-court issues being a major distraction and the injuries, it wasn't a good year for him. Based on what I've seen of him with the Lakers in the preseason, he's due for a major bounce back and to get back to that trajectory that he had prior to last year. But back to the comparison to Zion. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Jackson's expanded range is reflected by the average distance of his shots, bumping up from 2.8 to 7.5. Care to know what Zion's average distance was and is over the same time frame? 3.5 to 4.1. Barely any change at all. Percentage change in shots within three feet of the rim, it's gone from 74% to 61%. A reduction, to be sure, but not dramatic. Now, I would think a player with Zion's natural talent, the value he has to the organization, the projections of him as one of the NBA's great transcendent stars, That would be all the motivation he'd need to expedite developing a more expansive game. But I don't see it. His defense has actually gotten appreciably worse, at least as far as fouling shooters. I've watched players routinely take him off the dribble. He is not a help defender by any stretch or a rebounder outside his area. Now, had a game the other night against Orlando, Big deal made of the five steals. He scored efficiently in short number of minutes played. What wasn't taken into account is that two games prior, also played Orlando, was somewhat 
I don't want to say embarrassed by Paolo Bancaro, but Paolo put a move on him and crushed a dunk, matched him statistically, and Orlando won going away. So Zion had a little something to play for. And if you watched the game, the second game that is, when he had all those steals, those were as much lazy, incredibly lazy passes by Markel Fultz and other Magic. And Ben Carroll, quite honestly, not being aggressive and going to the ball. It was as if Orlando proved everything they needed to prove in the first meeting and didn't come to play collectively in the second. And for those who may not be aware, steals are not a reflection always of great defense. Sometimes they are. But oftentimes, if you're constantly looking for steals, then there's going to be times where you don't get it and now you've exposed the rest of your team to the other to the opponent playing 5 on 4 and giving up an easy bucket. What I have yet to see from Zion, which would make me believe that his defense is better, certainly 5 steals isn't going to do that, is is he getting down in a defensive stance? What effort does he give? Does he give any help? Just if do yourself a favor. If you're a big Zion fan, Watch him when he's off the ball. Watch him when he's playing defense. Don't watch the ball. Just keep your eyes on Zion and see how much energy is expended. See what he is doing to make the game difficult on whoever he's guarding. See whether he boxes them out. If it's what I have seen, you're not going to see any of those things. Again, it's preseason. He's had a ton of injuries. Maybe he's saving himself and I can't, I really can't fault him. He may be so leery of getting hurt again that he doesn't want to extend himself until he has to. But there's a danger in that too, is that you never get in that peak physical condition and then when you do have to extend yourself physically, you're not prepared for it. I just know that unless he has the ball in his hands or he's cutting toward the hoop looking for a lob, he floats an awful lot on the perimeter, not doing much of anything. In short, if he has indeed been in the gym working on his game, it has yet to show other than he seems to have a handle on his weight, which is good news, but it's not all the news. So we shall see. Just know I will be watching, and if there's a change in what Zion is doing and how he's doing it, I will be happy to acknowledge it. All right, now to the money-making portion of this episode. The first win total that looks out of line for me is the one for the San Antonio Spurs, which most odds makers have at 29.5. That means they need to win eight more games than last season, to hit the over. As special as I think Victor Wembanyama is and will be, I don't see the Spurs riding him the way they'd have to ride him to win with the supporting cast that he has. There is nothing about a Jeremy Sohan, Charles Bassey, Devin Vassell, Chetty Osman, and Wembanyama starting lineup that screams 30 wins unless Victor is playing 70 plus games and close to 40 minutes a night. 
I imagine Kelton Johnson probably gets into that starting lineup, but even so, that's not a major change. What the 29.5 win line tells me is that the hype around Wemby is serving as a great cover for what is otherwise a very unimpressive roster. And the expectations are that Wemby is, is going to be right off the bat the transcendent talent that I believe he eventually will be, but that the Spurs are not necessarily going to take full advantage of just yet. In short, take the under. There's a young team, another young team, with a rookie designated to be a future star that I do believe is going to exceed expectations. And that's the Portland Trailblazers. Now, if the Blazers were banking on their rookie star, Scoot Henderson, to lead them to get past 28 and a half wins, I'd be as skeptical as I am about the Spurs. By the way, for those of you who are seeing slightly different numbers, there's some places where the Spurs are at 29 and a half. Some, there's some places where they're 28 and a half. I see the Blazers at both 28 and a half and 27 and a half. The one game difference to me is not enough to change my feelings about this. Just, just so you know, even if they're both 28 and a half, I am putting the Spurs at the under. And I'll get in a minute to explain why I would put the Blazers on the over. I'd be, I'd be as skeptical as I am about the Blazers as I am the Spurs if this was just about Scoot Henderson. But one, this isn't a Blazers team that is trying to jump up seven wins or more. It's one that just has to not slip too far from where it was last season when it won 33 games. Now, the logic I'm guessing is that they are going to slip. The Blazers are going to slip without Damian Lillard to prop them up. Basically, the belief that the absence of Lillard in Portland is given more weight than the presence even of Wembenyama in San Antonio. Here's the problem with that. The Blazers were 27-31 and 31 last season when Lillard played. And... Just in case you were wondering, they were 24 and 28 when Yusuf Nurkic played. The percentages, the winning percentages, for those who didn't break them down, I think it's a 46%, 460% winning percentage with Lillard, 40, just over 40% without him. That's not a huge change. If you wanted to say, because of Lillard's absence, then they're going to fall from 46 to 40, and therefore they would slide under that 28 and a half. Fine. Except that's not the case. One, just the two of them, Lillard and Nurkic, the reality is that they were not world beaters, and it's not as if they just walked. They were replaced by some decent talent. Malcolm Brogdon comes in as a point guard and should serve as great training wheels for Scoot. He's a really, well, former sixth man of the year, is a bona fide starting point guard in this league. Just happened to be playing with the Celtics and Mark behind Marcus Smart. Robert Williams, big man who's coming over from the Celtics, brings some nice front line talent. And I can see him and Brogdon being effective together. And I'm not even sure that Robert Williams starts 
for the Blazers. Because there's also DeAndre Ayton, who, aside from being a solid 20-10 and 10, and one of the most mobile big men in the league, based on what I've been told about his summer playing for the Bahamian national team and what I know about the maturing effect on young guys when they get to their second team, I would expect that he's going to be as good or better than he's ever been. So, let's just say that the line is set at 28.5 for both the Spurs and the Blazers. You want me to believe that a Blazers team with a starting lineup of Ayton, Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, Scoot Henderson, and Brogdon, with Robert Williams, Shaden Sharp, and Matisse Thibel coming off the bench, that's not better than the lineup that I read you for the Spurs, whether Keldon Johnson or Bassey or whoever is the sixth man. You're not finding a whole lot of legitimate, bona fide, proven talent on that Spurs roster behind beyond that. I'm, I'm not naming the names because I'm guessing that you don't know most of them or wouldn't recognize most of them. So, that's all the win total handicapping I'm going to do for this podcast. But I've decided, just in the course of this recording, that in the next episode, I'm going to go through every win total for every team and tell you whether you should take the over or under. And that way, no matter who your team is or what team you want to lay a bet on, you'll have some insight to work with. You're welcome. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As I said, in the next uh, episode, we will continue this exercise in selecting the over-unders for NBA win totals for each and every team. And we'll see what else is going on around the league. I might have to address... The comments that Denver Nuggets GM Calvin Booth made and then tried to withdraw about Bones Highland and Michael Porter Jr. Why he would say what he said and was he legitimately done wrong by the writer or was this a case of something being extracted looking worse than Booth thought it would? and wanting to do damage control. We'll get into all of that, at least on some level, in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.